Wow. Good morning, everybody. It's been a while since I stood up here. Um, let me just say one quick prayer to get myself started. Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you, Lord, for the uh, privilege to be able to come before your church and your people, Lord, to uh, share your word. I just ask that you bless the words that come from my mouth, Lord, bless, bless the ears that hear them, and uh, uh, give us a, a, a steady understanding that maybe some we might know, some we might not, uh, but uh, reveal your truth to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, as you heard, Roman, the script today is uh, Colossians 9 to 18, first, first Colossians. Uh, chapter 1, 9 to 18. And as we start reading this, in the first verse it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, Paul wrote this epistle, and uh, uh, he had heard that there were some things that were coming into the, into the Colossian church that he was very concerned with. Uh, worldly things that uh, he felt he needed to address. But it's important here that, that uh, he says it's important to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. To be filled with the knowledge of God, to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ is something that we all require in our daily lives, don't we? We need not to just know that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to know how he fits into the the, uh, uh, puzzle of our existence. Uh, I mean, for example, how many people here have heard of Gnosticism? Can anybody tell me what it is? You don't have to, but it's important to know because... It's a, a, a dualistic view of existence, of spiritual, material, uh, evil, good. And what it does, it eliminates part of the person of Jesus Christ. Gnosticism is rampant today. It's all over the place in, in other churches and when you talk to other Christians. If you don't know who Christ is, then you won't recognize what you're dealing with. Uh, Modalism, another view of Christ and of God, where, where uh, God is his one person, and the way he does the three-person thing is with different masks. Today I'm wearing God the Father mask, and I'm coming to you as the Father. Tomorrow, or later today, I'm going to wear the Jesus mask, and I'm going to be your Savior. And then after that, I'm going to put on the Holy Spirit mask, so I can guide and direct you back towards the second mask, Jesus Christ. Crazy. A lot of people believe that. But you have to be able to recognize that these things exist, that these heresies are prevalent today, and they wreak havoc in the Christian church. The emergent church is another problem. They're neotheism, and that is probably the most prevalent uh, heresy that's out there. And so when God says, you must, you must have knowledge of him, 
he means you must have extensive knowledge. And it's, as, as we read further down in the text, we're going to see that that knowledge is going to be required to be growing all the time. And as that knowledge grows, the more Christ becomes real to us, the more preeminent he becomes in our existence, in our life, in the way we live our lives. It guides what we do, how we think, how we feel, and how we understand. Time spent learning does all these things. All these things bring the reality of Christ to us in a way that we can't have it unless we are constantly doing that. Sermon after sermon we hear, you got to read your Bible. you got to read your Bible every day. You have to know what it says. You can't just flick through it. you got to pay attention to what it's saying. Because all these things bring us to a stronger knowledge of Christ and who he is in our life and what he does. It then goes on to say, that you may walk worthy, uh, this understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. There it is, an increase in the knowledge of God. But what is it to walk worthy? Well, if you have the knowledge of God, when you talk to somebody, you know what to say. I mean, I was on a plane ride one time, Coming back from, a, from Colorado, I went to, to a, a seminar on Gnosticism. And I learned so much in that seminar that when I came home on the plane, I couldn't contain it. And these two poor guys sitting next to me had to listen to it from Colorado all the way back to Hartford. But you know what? They didn't stop asking questions because I knew what to say. There wasn't a question on what I had to deliver to them as the truth. The guy next to me is talking to me and talking to me and talking to me, and the guy outside of him is just sitting there, never broke his attention. Now granted, a great deal of that is God putting the words in your mouth. And let me tell you something. When you're, when you're dealing with people, talking to them from the knowledge that you have, and things are going like that, you know that God is speaking through you. Sometimes you don't know how the heck you can talk to somebody and have God use you until it happens, because he can't use you unless you open your mouth. And you don't open your mouth if you don't have a knowledge of God. And you don't have a knowledge of God if Christ isn't first. If he isn't so important that you need to share him. That's walking worthy of God. The next thing you see when you're walking worthy of God is you leave behind fruit and not stress. I was, I was in uh, Northampton one time. I, uh, 
uh, I was doing something in there. And I, I, I was coming, I came out onto the street and this young boy walked up to me. I say young, he was probably in his uh, early 20s, college student he looked like to me. And he wanted to talk to me about the importance of abortion. No. No. I failed that day. I failed miserably. The rage and the anger came out in me, and I don't know where it came from, but I couldn't contain myself. And that poor kid left afraid of me. What good did that do? It was awful. I was so ashamed of myself that I allowed that to overtake me like that. There were things I could have said that would have come from a preeminence of Christ instead of an anger out of the injustice of man and the hate of man. I blew by an opportunity that could have been wonderful. I left stress. I didn't leave fruit. That kid didn't walk away with anything from me. That was awful. But when you leave fruit, there is no stress like that. There is no anger. There is just the love of Christ that can be seen in you because he is the most important thing to you. And when was the last time you were concerned about missing out on church and the fellowship and what you can learn here because you've got worldly plans? Like, well, for me, football. I love to watch football. Or maybe... Some friends invited you someplace, and ah, you know, that'd be such a good time. I can go, I can talk, we can relax, we can enjoy ourselves, I can be stress-free. When's the last time you felt like, oh man, they invited me over, and you know, it, it would be okay, but look at the fellowship I would miss out on. Look at the learning I would miss out on. Look at the, the involvement with the body of Christ who is my head that I would miss out on and not want to be there. Well, i got to tell you, guys, you may not want to hear this, and i got to include myself in it. I see that desire to be someplace else amongst the people in this church all the time. We are not all so devoted that we can't help but be here because this is where we want to be. This is what we want to do. This is who we want to know. That's not walking worthy of Christ. And how, much, how many of us are worried about whether we'll be able to buy the next little trinket that we've been hoping to buy so we don't give that cash to Christ. You know, we've had people come into this church that we want to support, and they've asked 
to look at our books. And you know what they say? Holy cow, you guys can't afford to give anything to me. Imagine somebody coming into our church, looking to be helped, and coming away saying, that's the way it is. You don't have the scratch to scratch my back. And I don't put that solely on the people of this church and how much willing they're willing to give. But what I do put on us is our inability to go out and reach out to other people and bring them in so that they can partake in the joy of Christ. So that Christ can be preeminent in their life. When you put Christ up at that pedestal at the top where he belongs and you think of him day in and day out as the head of you and then you can bring that to others then those people will come in and say oh yeah, you've got a little extra dough here. We, can, we, can, uh, we don't mind taking a little from you to help us out with our mission for Christ because we know that Christ is the, their head because they're out doing something about it. Aren't they? Are we out there doing something about it? Do we dig in? Walk worthy of God? Walk worthy of Jesus Christ? Run that race that Paul talks about? A race that we want to win? Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Strengthened with all patience and long suffering with joy. I got a grandson. He's in nursery this morning. Nothing brings me more joy than taking care of that kid. And I'm sure many of you parents feel the same way about your own children. You take care of them. You interact with them. You enjoy their presence. They call you mom. They call you dad. They call you pop-pop. They call you ma, mama. They, they light up when they see you. You light up when you see them. How much patience can you have for a child like that? Tons. How much patience can you have, have for them when they're not being so nice? You can do that because you love them and because they just bring you joy. They do. That's the way Christ looks at us. That's the way we should look at Christ. And we should enjoy that joy that comes with it. Do you guys feel joy in your Christianity these days? Do you wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm yours. I'm with you. What are we going to do? What are we going to do today? 
I'm anticipating something. Do you ever anticipate anything in your Christian life anymore? When you're walking, is there that sense that something is about to happen? We're talking about the God through whom all things were made. All things. We're talking about the God who has control over all things, including our lives. Do we consider it? Do we consider it? Do we ever think about it? It's hard to think about all the time. Because it brings a lot of responsibility, doesn't it? I mean, Christ chose us. We didn't choose him. Right? So already we won the lottery. Pretty much. He picked our names out at his own good pleasure and said, you're mine. Walk worthy. You don't have to do anything to be saved, but I want you to walk worthy. I want you to know who I am. Because as we try to know who he is, that relationship will grow and the power that lies within that is enormous. So open up your mouths and say something. Don't worry about whether you know exactly what to say before you open your mouth. Just trust God a little bit, will you? Preeminent. You can trust Him. First in your life, you can trust Him. You can have confidence that he has your best interest at heart and will help you to walk worthy. And how do we do that without yielding to the love of Christ in the forefront, being preeminent, no one else's opinion matters. Oh, yeah, no one else's opinion matters, does it? No one else's opinion. I got a buddy, boy, and he thinks I'm kind of nuts. He just doesn't get what I think or what I believe. Well, first off, maybe you should question whether he should be your buddy or not. But I got some friends in this other church, and they believe this other stuff. You know, they're a little Gnostic. They, they, they don't understand how I can... And, and they give me a hard time about it. And their opinion is that I'm going too far off to the conservative, fundamental side of Christianity. doesn't matter. Their opinions don't matter. Roman's opinion does not matter above Jesus Christ. Neither did Carmen and neither do I. Whenever you question 
about whose opinion you need to look at. You look back at these scriptures and you say, oh man, I better start digging through here. I know he's got something for me on this subject and i got to find out what it is. Oh, oh, what's happening? I'm growing in the knowledge of Christ. Continuing to grow in the knowledge of Christ. My tool to work with. My tool to lift me up, to steady my life. My tool to focus my attention and to anticipate what's coming next. What's coming next? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you for picking me. Thank you for qualifying me to be a partaker in this inheritance. Well, we didn't qualify ourselves, did we? He put his son on the cross to qualify us. Something we don't like to think about too often. Because if, if I, I don't know, did you guys see, uh, oh, what was that movie, that Mel Gibson movie? The Passion, thank you. I'm also a little senile now, and I, I forget things easily. We don't like to think about something like that because the horrific brutality of it is, is hard to, to consume to understand. But that was what he did so that he could pick us. And to say being thankful isn't a word that's strong enough. I don't know if there is a word that's strong enough to, to give thanks to God. But we need to be at least that, don't we? Because if we're thankful, at least we know who Christ is. And brings us back to that preeminence in our life. And the inheritance of the saints in the light is what we receive. That illumination to understand who we are in the existence of eternity. In the existence of God's love for us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The Son of His love is the second part of His oneness. Can I say it like that? One God, three persons. They always were, always will be. None of them bound by time, immaterial. All of them all-powerful, all-knowing. And that God conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Jesus is the Son of His love, right? 
We, we agree with that? Jesus is the Son through whom all things were created, that were created. Jesus is the one that created this kingdom that we live in. Only you live in this kingdom if you are partaker in it. Are you a partaker in it? Do you enter into a participatory role, what's the word I'm saying for? Participatory? Do you take do you take uh, you, you take the initiative to get involved? <laughs> because that's what we're supposed to be doing here. That's what we're talking about. Taking taking part in this unbelievable condition that we find ourselves in. And it is an unbelievable condition. In whom we have redemption through his blood. For the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter how many times I read that, in how many different verses, in how many different ways, it always says the same thing to me impossible. It is impossible that I could find myself in this position. Impossible. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't conceive of it. And yet, Christ did it. He lowered himself to become preeminent. And as we become more like Christ, we must lower ourselves to become more powerful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are all the lowly things that we read in the Beatitudes and in the Scriptures that tells us that's where we take ourselves. Because when we take ourselves there, what do we leave behind when we speak to other people? Fruit. Nobody is intimidated by a lowly, meek individual who sees Christ as his head and so it makes it easy for them to listen. Easy. I mean, isn't it easy for you to listen to somebody that's talking nice things and, and, and whether that it has any meaning or not? It's easy to listen to. You know, you, you listen to these... Uh, these guys that uh, that uh, are uh, oh, like Tony Robbins. What is he? He's a uh, motivational speaker. Thank you. Keep me in line there, Roman. <laughs> He's a motivational speaker. He's easy to listen to. He talks easy. He doesn't make himself like he's better than everybody else. He tells you you're great and lifts you up. It's easy to listen to him. Well, guess what? It's important for us to do the same thing. The difference is the message. 
And the message comes from what is preeminent in your life. And we're back to Christ. It's important for us to remember that Jesus is the image of the unseen God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When we put Christ in his preeminent position, we see the God that we follow. He gives us a view of what we otherwise could never see. Because if we were to just look right at God, what would happen to us? Gone. Destroyed. Nothing left to us. We need somebody in between. We need somebody to say, okay, here I am. Watch what I'm doing here, here, here. Do the same thing and you will see God in the things that you do. And you know what else happens? Other people get to see God. Other people can have their eyes opened to see who it is that is at the helm of the world. By all these things, well, I better read it over here, not my notes. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In him all things consist. In him we consist. In him the people who don't believe in him consist. In him the people who think they believe in him consist. In him those who hate him exist. All within the Godhead with Christ as our preeminent leader. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Well, that's great. How do we apply this? There's got to be a way to apply this, right? Besides what we've talked about. Ask yourself one. Have you been raised with Christ? Do you believe you've been raised with Christ? Have you been born again? Do you believe the scriptures when they talk about being born again? Am I in the process of being transformed in the image of Christ? 
Sometimes we fall down on this. We, a while back we did uh, a series by Ryle, was it? And, huh? Regardless. It had different sections in it, and one of them was, uh, uh, was uh, sanctification. And in sanctification, we become more and more like Christ. Are any of us here not practicing our sanctification? Do any of us know how to practice sanctification? Am I going on to perfection day by day? In case you haven't heard, it's the goal. New life in Christ. All else is mere talk. That's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to start becoming more like Christ. As we learn about Christ and who he is, we get to see what we have to do. Becoming humble, to become heard, to power, to change, to wonderful things that we can bring forth in this world. So how does new life in Christ come about anyway? Two words. Choice and response. The choice has been made. The choice has been made for all of us. You have been chosen if you believe in Christ. You didn't have to do anything for that. Be thankful. But now comes the response. You are responsible for that. You need to respond to the call that God has given you or Christ is not preeminent in your life. You have dropped the ball. That response is daily, hourly, minute by minute, second by second. You have to respond. And when you respond, you start dropping fruit, don't you? John 15, 16 says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. If we're not doing that, we're not applying the preeminence of Christ in our life, are we? God calls and it's up to you to respond. No one can do it for you. Any of you guys that are worried about whether you're going to have work to do or if you're going to be busy, know that you are. Know that it might keep you from being bored in your Christian life if you actually respond. Setting your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. That's Colossians 3.2. Whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, 
whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praise, think about these things. That's Philippians 4.8. Great words. Great things to do. Do we do them? You know, when they're talking about doing all these things in Philippians, you can think about it like going to a spiritual gym. Today I'm going to hit the bench meekness press. And I'm going to work out on my meekness. And then I'm going to move over and do my curls. I'm going to do my curls of, of love. I'm going to do my tricep extensions. I'm going to do my tricep extensions of caring and truth. It's no different. We get stronger at what we work at, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We have to hit the gym every day. And the gym is the scripture, but the gym is also watching what we do following that scripture. You know, they got that great term out there, uh, uh, WWJD. Well, sometimes we shouldn't be thinking about WWJD. What would Jesus do? We should be thinking about WWYD. What would you do? You have to respond. What would you do? You can compare it to what Jesus would do. But you've got to do it. So what would you do? You died with Christ so we can appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So you know where you're coming from. You know what you've got to leave. There are lists all over the Bible of the things you have to stop. You have to stop them. That is a response to salvation. It is a response to God's choice. Stop it. Stop it. It will give you strength. Stop it. It will give you direction. Stop it. It will give you peace. We are renewed daily in the image of Christ, who we must know, who must have preeminence in our life. We are all the same before God. The only difference is whether or not we're chosen. 
act like it because Christ is all in all. I want to read you one thing from uh, a sermon oops, by Spurgeon. I did not steal my sermon from him. But I thought this was interesting. Step on that thing. I no doubt desire for my fellow Christians and for myself that more and more the great object of our thoughts, motives, and acts may be Jesus only. I believe that whenever our religion is most vital, it is most full of Christ. Moreover, when it is most practical, downright, and common sense, it always gets nearest to Jesus. I can bear witness that whenever I am in depths of sorrow, nothing will do for me but Jesus only. I can rest in some degree in the externals of religion, its outward escarpments and bulwarks, when I am in health. But I retreat to the innermost citadel of our holy faith, namely to the very heart of Christ, when my spirit is assailed by temptation or besieged with the sorrow and anguish. What is more, my witness is that whenever I have high spiritual enjoyments, enjoyments rich, rare, celestial, they are always connected with Jesus only. Other religious things may give some kind of joy, and joy that is healthy too, but the sublimest, the most inebriating, the most divine of all joys must be found in Jesus only. In fine, I, fi- I, find it, <clears throat> I find if I want to labor much, I must live on Jesus only. If I, if I desire to suffer patiently, I must feed on Jesus only. If I wish to wrestle with God successfully, I must plead Jesus only. If I aspire to conquer sin, I must use the blood of Jesus only. If I pant to learn the mysteries of heaven, I must seek the teachings of Jesus only. I believe that anything which we add to Christ lowers our position, and that the more elevated our soul becomes, the more nearly like what it is to be when it shall enter into the region of the perfect. The more completely, ever, the more completely everything else will sink, die out, and Jesus, Jesus only, will be the first and last in the midst and without end, the Alpha and the Omega of every thought of head and pulse of heart. May it be so with every Christian. Amen. So, with that, Roman, I will yield the bench back to you. Oh, yeah. If I could have the deacons come for the Lord's Supper.